Guys, have you noticed we're getting softer, fatter, lazier as we get older? Guess what? It's not okay. And you know why? Because there's a very easy way to get back to greatness, and that's with Ageless Male Max. Ageless Male Max's patent-pending formula has an ingredient that helps boost your total testosterone, promoting greater increases in muscle size and twice the reduction in body fat percentage than exercise alone, plus... An amazing 64% increase in nitric oxide, which can be handy in the gym and in the bedroom. Take your manhood to the max by trying your first 30-day bottle for free. Just pay shipping and handling. Not 10 days, not 15 days. A full 30-day supply for free when you text the word PRIME to 797979. Finally, a formula that boosts your total testosterone. If your results with Ageless Mayo Max are too intense... Decrease the use. For your free bottle, text PRIME, P-R-I-M-E, to 797979. That's PRIME to 797979. Message and data rates, um, they might apply, and probably will. This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Oh, I'm so excited for wrestling this week. This week made me very excited about wrestling, I've got to tell you. I'm sitting there, especially SmackDown. SmackDown 1000, it made, me, it made me excited to do this podcast is what it did. So, welcome. Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling. If you're listening on Patreon at patreon.com slash Wrestling, welcome to the Not Sam Shills. If you're not, welcome to Not Sam Wrestling anyway. Really is an exciting time. SmackDown 1000 was great. Batista was great. Evolution was great. We'll talk about it all in the state of wrestling. But, you know, some weeks you just come in, something does that to you. There's something on the TV that you're like, oh yeah, I forgot. Wrestling is awesome. And it really is. Uh, I had a good good mail week. I got uh, Mattel sent over the whole new uh, set of, of flashback series. And when you buy them all, you can build a Commissioner Shawn Michaels figure. So I have on my desk right now, in the Not Sam studio, a figure of Commissioner Shawn Michaels in the brown suit with the cowboy hat, everything. Plus one of the figures in that set is the old school Stone Cold Steve Austin. Like original Stone Cold Steve Austin, where he's wearing the vest, but it's before the vest had like metal on it. The vest has like the, the wings on the back. And he's got the short boots. You can tell it's the original Stone Cold Steve Austin, old school Stone Cold Steve Austin, right after the ringmaster Stone Cold Steve Austin because he doesn't have any knee braces on yet. That's how you can tell. And I just, uh, I love this set. So thank you to Mattel and thank you to Entertainment Earth because I also got my Young Bucks pops this week. Entertainment Earth sent over uh, a two-pack of Funko Pops, Matt and Nick Jackson, the Young Bucks. So I've got them too. I'm 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 gold, Jerry. I'm gold right now. It's a fun time to be alive. We had a, a wrestling pay-per-view over the weekend. That was Bound for Glory. I don't know if you guys were able to catch it, but TNA uh I'm sorry, Impact Wrestling. I keep doing that. Impact Wrestling did Bound for Glory on Sunday here in New York, and then they did uh TV tapings on Monday and on Tuesday. Of course, we'll talk about the Austin Aries thing. By the way, also before we get into Impact and our interview of the week and everything, I do want you to know, I talked about Patreon at the very top of the show. Um, the captive audience shows are up. They're going up. The first one is up right now. The second one is going up by the time this comes out, probably. Uh, it, the, all bonus shows, 
All Every tier on Patreon gets them. They don't even count towards the two a month. It's just extras. I sit down with somebody uh, who's in my life near and dear to me and make them watch a wrestling show. I made my watch my wife, Jess, watch Uncensored 95. The WCW pay-per-view, Uncensored 95. I mean, it's a ridiculous show. And I made Jess sit down and watch it. So if you've ever wanted to hear some a, a total... Uh, somebody who's totally foreign to all of this have to sit down and watch Uncensored 95. My wife, Jess, is the perfect person to hear doing it. You can watch along. You turn on the WWE Network and you watch, you watch as and listen to us watch. We provide the commentary for it. Um, and you can get the, those shows exclusively at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling only for the Not Sam shells. And uh, more shows are going to keep going up, all the classic ones, and uh, I taped some new ones that are also going to be going up. So it's a very, very exciting time in the world of Not Sam Wrestling. So we talked about Bound for Glory, and uh, we'll talk about Austin Aries and all that stuff in the state of wrestling. Uh, But I bring it up because uh, of my interview this week. Uh, My interview this week is uh, one half of the people that are kind of in charge of Impact Wrestling right now, Uh, and his name is Don Callis. Don... Depending on when you started watching, could mean a lot of different things. Of course, Don Callis has the podcast Killing the Town with Lance Storm on the Jericho Network. He's great friends with Chris Jericho for many, many, many years at this point. Um, So you might know him from the podcast. You might know him from his work as a color commentator at New Japan Pro Wrestling, which he does a great job at. Uh, You might know him as the color commentator on Impact Wrestling, where he put himself in that position, but... I think he put the right man in that position. He does it with Josh Matthews. Uh, You also, if you're an old school fan, if you go back as far as I do, I was first introduced to Don Callis when he came out with the Truth Commission as the Jackal. And then very quickly, the Jackal morphed into like a kind of like a cult leader who would come out in like black leather and had like a jewel on his forehead and wore sunglasses and the long hair and everything. And he would come down from the ceiling and he all kinds of stuff. But maybe you know him as the Jackal. Maybe you were an ECW fan back in the day, and you remember that really, I mean, there was only two guys. Well, only two guys really did color commentary with any sort of regularity, and nobody did color commentary with the regularity that he did. And that's when he was Cyrus the Virus, when Don Callis went over to ECW and became Cyrus the Virus. And then not only was the color commentator, but the representative of the network when ECW was having their problems with TNN. Uh, Classic television, classic heel commentary work. Uh, But he's done a lot. He's done a lot in this world of wrestling, and he's a great wrestling thinker, and uh, he's great with wrestling psychology. He just knows this stuff, and that's probably why there's been a positive impact over at Impact Wrestling. Uh, I talked to Josh Matthews, who's a, a, a good friend of mine. He was on the podcast a while back, when I think when he first started at TNA. But Josh, uh, I said, you know, you're going to be in New York. I got to see you. So he invited me down to uh, the Melrose Ballroom so I could just come and hang out and say hi for a little bit. And while I was there, he said, why don't you talk to Don Callis? I said, I'd love to talk to Don Callis. So I talked to Don Callis. But I didn't just talk to him. I recorded the conversation. And I guess when you have a conversation that's recorded and you put it on a podcast, it becomes an interview. And that conversation that's recorded and became an interview is the interview of the week. Ladies and gentlemen, this week on Not Sam Wrestling, Don Callis. 
the Not Sam Wrestling interview. We're here at the Melrose Ballroom. It's, uh, I guess, we're coming off of Bound for Glory weekend. TV tapings going on for Impact Wrestling. And the man of the hour is Don Callis. Don, what's the haps? Hey, man, it's all good. Just happy to be here. How, how did you end up here? I mean, your, your inclusion in the business of pro wrestling, you know, we all kind of have been following you for a long time and are aware of. But how did the, how did the journey to Impact specifically come about? Well, I was here in 03 and part of 04 uh, as a talent, which from my perspective was very much a, uh, uh, you know, temporary thing. I was, I had, you know, basically retired from wrestling and was just looking for something to bridge me until I was moving into the, into a, the job market. I just finished doing my MBA and was like, I'm done with wrestling. Um, so kind of my last match here, my only match here was with Eric Watts for control of what was then TNA Wrestling, NWA TNA. Uh, which I won, won control to run the company, uh, then quit a week later, and then came back 17-odd years later to right. help run the company. <laughs> so uh, life imitates art. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was when I says out of the business, I was out of the business. I mean, I wasn't watching it. I probably talked to two guys in the business over the years. Like, you know, the business is a funny thing, right? You can be like best buds with someone, and then one person gets out, and, and then it's like, you know, you don't necessarily hear from them again, but then when you do, you pick right up. So it's, um, for me, it was kind of like a phased thing. I think the first step of it was Jericho asked me to come into MSG for his 25th anniversary show for Vince. Um, I think, so, yeah, I remember the show. They did the, they did the yeah, Jericho the, shirts like the Ranger. Yeah, I was at that show. Yeah, so, man, my... Um, my deal there was it was like me, Chris Lance, and Dr. Luther, Lenny St. Clair, who were all like guys who started out together in the business. We just had such a blast. We did Chris's podcast. It was just a lot of fun. And then I, I think that, you know, maybe people were surprised that I could be entertaining on the microphone because it had been a while. And so I was like, well, oh, man, we I mean, that- have his own podcast. And so then when Chris started his podcast network, like six months later, he was like, well, I'm thinking of doing something with Lance. Um, I think you and Lance together would be really good. Do you want to do a podcast? Now, in my mind, again, I've been out of the wrestling, uh, out of wrestling for a long time, running an organization and um, doing a lot of business overseas. And it was like, well, I always had this thing in the back of my mind that I have this wrestling experience. If there was a way for me to monetize it um, without actually having to get back in the wrestling business, because it was, I, my memory of the business was it was so volatile. I didn't like the the lack of predictability of your career path yeah um and it was like well the podcast is like an hour a week so i was like oh i'll start doing that so then i started doing that and then uh at the same time through that podcast uh jericho did a podcast with uh myself and kenny omega because we're all from winnipeg famously i guess now and um so i reconnected with kenny now the background is uh kenny's uncle the golden sheik was my first manager in the business and helped to train me and so Kenny and I almost have like a bit of a family relationship. So um, when we ended up Chris's podcast that day around Christmas time in 2016, I guess it would have been, um, Kenny said, uh, I jokingly said to Kenny, well, good luck at the Tokyo Dome. Hey, get me booked, kid, which is just a joke, like was a total joke. And I meant when I say get me booked, I meant like as a wrestler, which right. I was joking. And he goes, and Kenny with like that deadpan Kenny Omega, he's like, well, I already did. 
I tried to get you booked. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, we need a color commentator and I think you'd be great. And I'm like, oh, well, let me know. Like, I'm non, not at all familiar with New Japan. Didn't know anyone there. And you told him. What's you that? told him such. You said, I'm not, I don't oh, know. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and he knew that I'd, I didn't. Like, I, I couldn't have told you who Vince's world champion was just because I wasn't following the business. Mm-hmm. I, I certainly didn't know anything about TNA or New Japan, so TNA at the time, or as it might have been Impact by then. So uh, I got a call to go to New Japan, and I was like, well, I have all this holiday time I don't use at work, and like, well, I'll go to Japan and see how it is. And then I had fun, and, and then that kind of, you know, steamrolled a little bit and was like, oh, wow, holy cow, this guy can do color commentary, which I guess a lot of people forgot that I, I did that in ECW. So Yeah. Um, um, and then in terms of impact, I guess I was kind of watching from afar and became interested when Leonard Asper bought the company because Leonard is from my hometown in Winnipeg also. Mm-hmm. And so now you, you actually had Jericho, Omega, Don Callis, and doing our thing in New Japan, and then you had Leonard Asper uh, run, owning a wrestling company. So the Winnipeg boys are secretly taking over wrestling right exactly. under everybody's nose, yeah. And so, and I guess it was like, so I was kind of watching this, and I remember I had reached out to Leonard when he first bought it, because my concern was, hey man, like, you don't know the wrestling business, we're both from Winnipeg, the business school I got my MBA from is the Asper School of Business, so it's named after his family, so... I was like, you know what? I don't want a job. I just want to give him some advice because I know how the business is. You can get swerved or whatever can happen. And I, we never ended up connecting. Meanwhile, I'm doing my New Japan thing. Um, I end up putting together the Kenny Omega, Chris Jericho main event at the Tokyo Dome for New Japan, which, which made them a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, wow. And so it was kind of this big year. And then Scott and I started talking, and it's like, well, maybe we should do a meeting, you know, after kind of Jeff was, had left, and it was like, well, okay, I'll fly into Toronto for a meeting. And, and I just, uh, Scott and I sat down, and I was very candid about what I thought about the current product as it stood then. And, and uh, Not positive, necessarily. Uh, you know, like both positive and negative, mm-hmm. I think. And, and more just like, because I hadn't watched it a lot, more kind of laid out what my vision was, and it's like, well... You know, I, I've seen four of your shows. This is what I think of it. Um, you know, I, I know there's been issues here for many years. So it's like, well, this is what I would do if Scott and I were running it. You know, just kind of pitched it. And, you know, nice, nice. It's always those situations where you don't need the gig that it works out. Yeah. So it's kind of like just like, well, I hope something comes of this. But ultimately, like, I'll well, find if it doesn't. What was it that you pitched? Was it this, uh, like, what about the vision that we see in Impact now? You know, I think, um, I think you know, it's just, I don't remember the specifics, but I think if you look at, I mean, there was stuff going on that was, you know, stuff that is just like, hey, well, why would anybody do this? So it's like, let's el- eliminate that stuff. Um, let's eliminate bad promo segments. You know, let, let's eliminate, like, you know, really over-the-top hokey stuff. Let's try to eliminate bad wrestling. Let's be cognizant of who we're putting belts on, things like that. And, and, you know, obviously, like, I'd kind of come out of a time capsule in the sense that I hadn't watched wrestling at all. And it's like, now I come back and I'm like, well, you know, there's people drawing lots of money by having no storylines and a bunch of people doing flips and dives and stuff. It's like, okay, well, how do we acknowledge that the business is different than an old one when I kind of officially got out of it and now? And, and, and I love all the athleticism, but it's like, hey, listen, let's, let's work on. Look, I think no one would say that, that overall in the entire business, 
that the promo ability is better than it was, say, in the 90s when I was in New York or ECW. Um, so it's like, okay, well, how do I, how do I work with talent to, um, to do character development, to help them to be better promos and that sort of thing? So it's kind of, um, but, but that's not the only part of the job. There, there's also this corporate executive part of it. So it's like, you're wearing a lot of hats, I guess yeah. is what it is. Yeah. So. so to step back into New Japan and to yeah. do the color commentary on that show, like yeah. anybody that watched ECW, obviously I grew up right at the perfect time. I was, mm. you know, ECW's number one demo. He's a huge yeah. fan. But still, I mean, that's not quite 20 years, but 15 years removed yeah. from the last time you did color commentary on a show. Right. How do you get yourself ready to do that again? I mean, I don't. it's not quite like getting right back on a bike or is it it, it no it's it, it's not because i didn't know anybody there right and i certainly didn't know any of the japanese guys could not pronounce the names had no idea background so what i did have was a relationship with kenny omega and i was well aware of what kenny had been doing so i think i start like my color commentary i think because my big influence were jesse ventura and bobby heenan and I've, I've all said it many times, to me, the greatest team, my favorite team of all time is Jesse and Vince. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Vince was the best play-by-play guy ever. I think that's probably Jim Ross. But just Vince and Jesse had a dynamic. And I always liked the dynamic. And so I, I kind of was like, I tried to make myself kind of one part Jesse Ventura, one part Bobby. And, and so I started that kind of doing the Bobby Heenan, you know, when he was sort of trying to manage Flair or was managing Flair. And I started doing that with Kenny, but I wasn't managing him. I was sitting at ringside for his matches, but I was able to tell the story. Right. And then as I kind of got to know the guys, and I did that by talking to them and watching, um, within, I would say within four months, I think the real breakout call for me as an announcer was uh, the 60-minute Broadway with uh, Kenny and uh, Okada in Osaka. And, And that was like, that was the first one I was really proud of. And by then I'd got to know like, okay, the undercard guys. So it's like, okay, Yano, like for me, it's like Yano is this brilliant comedy wrestler who's actually a really good wrestler. But, um, and I'm like, okay, so it, it, this isn't for me, it's never been about, um, just calling, okay, here comes Yano. It's about me as a heel. Cause I always see myself as a heel character as a color commentator. And that's the fine line with commentary. Can you be a character, but not use the character to get yourself over? Well, that's use the it. character to get yeah. other people over. So my thing is, it's like, if you listen to my commentary in New Japan uh, back in the day, um, you'll hear, you, you're very clear, I don't like, my character doesn't like Yano. Mm-hmm. You know, thinks he's an idiot. My character hates Gato. You know, much in the same way that Bobby Heenan and Jesse Ventura hated Hulk Hogan on commentary. Right. But it didn't take away, it actually added. So... By the time we hit kind of the four-month mark in New Japan, um, I had developed those relationships and those understandings of Yano. And it's like, I, I always try, when I, used, when, I would, when I produce a segment here, I always try to have something happening. So like if you watch, you know, stuff that the Christs do, it's not just Sammy. Jake Christ has this thing that he does. Dave Christ has his thing. Something happening for everyone. I learned that from Paul Heyman. So it's like, you know, I'm like, okay, so... Here, you know, they're trotting the old tiger mask out for six-man tags underneath largely comedy matches. But then I started noticing, like, this old bugger, like, when he's in there with the young boys, he stiffs the shit out of them. Like, he really, like, he's just mean, you know? So I started calling. I'm like, oh, I go, I hope we get to see mean tiger mask tonight. 
Yeah. And that just like became like a thing. And whenever he would unleash these kicks and these things, I'd go, Mean Tiger Mask, this is great. <laughs> so it's like I tried to find kind of something. And like then with Tanahashi, it was just like, even though I'm a heel, and this is the other way where being a heel can help get talent over. It's like, I'm a heel, but I'm putting over Tanahashi, the ultimate babyface, which that put over means more because I should hate him because I'm a heel. Right. But I don't. So it's like, so that's my thing with Tanahashi. With Okada, I was like, yeah, yeah, he's a great wrestler. You know, he's a great wrestler, but, you know, Gato's a spot picker. And, and Gato's, you know, and I was trying to stir Gato up. And so it was just like this thing. And, and, and so then by the time you lay out, so my character now is fully established. It's not taken away from the talent. So by the time we get to Jericho Omega, you have this other story, which, you know, we didn't fully tell, which is fine, because then it does become about me. But you have this other story where it's like, people have been listening to me call Kenny Omega the god of pro wrestling in Japan for a year. They know that he's like my little brother, my nephew. They know the relationship with his uncle that I had. I'm all in on Kenny Omega. But now comes Chris Jericho, who is one of my best friends for 27 years. Who am I siding with? Or from a heel perspective, who am I hitching my wagon to? Do I go with my friend for 27 years who I've been on the road with and been all, and been all over the world with, Chris Jericho? Or do I go, you know, Chris, you're my buddy, but this kid's my meal ticket. Right. And so there was that kind of interesting dynamic largely played out by Kevin Kelly asking me or accusing me of, well, you need to take a side or whatever. That's something that, you know, could have been played out a little more. But ultimately, I mean, those guys involved me in it in a way that worked for them. You know, I, Chris beat me up, you know, when I went to check on Kenny. So I kind of did choose Kenny because mm. I healed on Chris. Chris gives me the stunner. Then at the Tokyo Dome, Kenny hits me with a crossbody. Like, it's <laughs> like, so it was just like, so that stuff with commentary, it's like, I tried to position myself that way. And there's people that'll go like, uh, Don Callis, he tries to be like a heel like from the 80s. I hate it. You know, I like Corey Graves. Corey Graves is great. Yeah. You know, and I, and I, you know, honestly, I probably couldn't do what Corey Graves does because I've never been produced. I've never had anyone in my ear telling me, hey, you know, do this or say this line or whatever. I've never had that. Even the spots when, because I mean, the Jackal here and there did some commentary for WWE. Never, ever had anyone in my ear. Wow. This is what, and this is another change of the business. This is what I, I got told. In, in WWE when I had to do a seven-minute promo coming down from the ceiling. Um, yeah, you have a promo. Um, go out and get heat. That's it. That's it, you know. There weren't any writers. It was it was like Vince Russo was in the room with, with Vince McMahon and Pat and whoever else, and Russo would come and go, okay, we're going to lower you down on the thing. you got seven minutes, you know, go get heat. Did you have to build that trust, or did they know, were you being brought in specifically I, I because they knew about your promo they abilities? They knew, but they didn't. You never know, like, who knows what. Like, I remember in 90, I actually had a tryout there in 96, uh-huh. and I had sent my tape, uh, I was asked to send my tape to Chief J. Strongbow. And, you know, Chief, you know, the guys who would come in for dark matches or the jobbers were Chief was in charge of them. So I sent this tape to Chief, and I had a bunch of promos on there. And I was, you know, people would say back then I was a real good promo. And I remember Chief watched my thing, and he's like, man, you're the next Roddy Piper. He goes, I took your tape right to Vince. And I said, this guy's the next Roddy Piper. Listen to his promos. It's great. I, I came in for my tryout, and then I never did a promo. And Chief, Chief went to Bruce Pritchard, and he goes, did you guys... Did you guys watch his tape that I gave you? He's incredible. Mm-hmm. 
And I remember Bruce's answer was, and Vince was right there, Bruce was like, oh, we'll be watching tonight. Well, the problem was they weren't giving me a promo that night. <laughs> of course. Right? Yeah. So, <laughs> and I always said, you know, and this is maybe a lesson for young wrestlers. Sometimes be, you know, take a chance. So the lesson I learned that night in 96 was what I should have done yeah. is I should have grabbed the frickin' mic from the announcer and cut a promo. Even having a dark match. Right, because the crowd's there. Right. I should have grabbed the announcer mic. And I no, but I mean, you, you would have having the balls to do that. I should have done that. I didn't have the balls to do it because right. I didn't do it. Right. Had I done that, now one of two things is going to happen if I had done that. They would have fired me as soon as I came through the curtain. Right, that's the question. Which, who cares? Because if they don't hear the promo, they're not hiring you anyway. Correct. Right. Or, because don't forget, back then I was 6'2", 210 which now would make me a pretty good-sized guy in that company. Back then, it was like, you're too skinny, right? So had I done that, I probably would have had a job there as a manager. I didn't do that. So fast forward now when I am there in 97, and I've got this god-awful Truth Commission gimmick that they saddled me with, and they're, you know, I've, got, I've hardly got any lines. They don't, they don't totally trust me to put me out there. Vince has no idea what I can do. So we're in Hershey, Pennsylvania, and I had this stupid outfit, and, and we were, the Truth Commission outfit was awful, red beret, all this shit. Right. And so I'm like, man, I need to get out of this outfit. So I used to wear a black motorcycle jacket everywhere, just as a shoot in my real life. And um, I'm like, man, we're, they asked me to do a promo uh, with my guys about the DOA, the biker gang for Survivor Series, and then they're like, yeah, cut the promo, then those guys are going to come out. And again, no direction, which I like, just go get heat. So I'm like, man, I got an opportunity to show Vince Don Callis on television in a, in, not in a goofy outfit. I'm going to wear my black leather jacket. I'm going to put my hair down, but I'm not going to make it like I went into business for myself. I'm going to tie it to the story. So when I went out, I went, you know, you know, yeah, you know, you guys, you know, you, we're, we're clean cut guys, blah, blah, blah. And you fans out here, the only way people can get over with you is to look like degenerates. Like if I let my hair down. Yeah. Is this, was this what you like to see? You know, oh, oh you like bike gangs? Well, what do I got to do? Wear a leather jacket like this out here? Like these other degenerates? And I cut this hellacious promo, which actually for me was not one of my better promos. But I guess the bar was so low because they're probably getting ready to fire me. I walk back. Um, uh, uh, Jack Lanza, Jerry Briscoe. Jerry Briscoe gave me a hug. You know, Jim Cornette shook my hand. He goes, Don, today I am, I am proud to be a manager after watching that promo. That was a great promo. I was like, oh, okay, well, I can do this all the time, right? And part of that, do you think, was, because you said it wasn't the greatest promo, number one, because the bar, the bar had been lowered, but number two, do you think, was the aesthetic that they finally it was, were? It, 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 it was a really good promo. Uh-huh. For me, I've cut 100 ones that are better on indies. Gotcha. But it was like, so it was a really good promo. Gotcha. So it was like, and, and back then, the, the bar was higher for promos. It was low for me, because I'm just a right. robber. But it was higher. You're talking about a, a company with Steve Austin, Mick Foley, The Rock. And yeah, I'm more meant, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. what you had been given the opportunity so, to so do. So literally the next week we're in Montreal for Survivor Series and and Vince McMahon, who had said nothing to me, uh, sees me in the hall and he goes, hell of a promo, Don. It's great. Hell of a talker. And I'm like, oh, thank you very much, Mr. McMahon. Then uh, he goes, we're getting you on commentary tonight. I'm like, on the pay-per-view? He's like, yeah. So basically I got eliminated then I went right down on commentary. And, uh, and then Vince Russo came to me and goes, uh, Vince McMahon says we got to get you out of this shitty outfit. 
um, can you come up with something? Well, I already had the outfit in my bag. <laughs> I had the black leather suit. I had already figured out the gimmick with the sunglasses and the jewel on my head. So I, I was going to ask about the jewel, I'm yeah. like, give me five minutes. I went and got changed. Russo's was like, that's badass, you know? And then Vince McMahon liked it. And it was like, that's how I kind of pivoted. So the lesson for young wrestlers is sometimes you have to not go into business for yourself, but you have to bet on yourself. Right. You have to take a chance um, because sometimes nothing happens if you don't. Like, you have to be strategic about it. I could have got fired for that. Sure. You know, for that promo. But ultimately, it's like you have to have faith that it's like, people will see that it's good business. You know? Do you think that that's still possible? You know, like you said, it's a, it's a different world. There's a lot more well, scripting going. I, I guess I could say that, like, I don't know. People say they script a lot in WWE. I, I don't know that. Like, I'm not You're not there. there. I'm not there. Yeah. But, um, and, and I listen, I understand the business reasons that Vince would have for wanting to script guys. I do. It's like, it's from the corporate. It's like I wear two hats, right? I wear a creative hat. I wear a corporate hat. And I understand sometimes those things are a little bit different. So it's like, I'll tell you if, if you know, and I, I just use Sammy Callahan as an example, not that he's ever done it, but if it's like, if Sammy Callahan went out there and, and we had said to him, you know, um, hey, you know, you need to do a one minute promo in front of the crowd and you need to hit these points. And he went out there and did a three minute promo and he hit the points, but he hit a whole bunch of other stuff. If it got over and it was, and I came back and it was great, I would not be saying to Sammy Callahan, why didn't you do what I told you? Now, I might have that discussion a little later. Right. Okay? But I would go, holy cow, we got something. And that's the thing. It's like, how do we get the talent to the point where they can have? Like, I don't, the last thing I want to do is write people's promos for them. I don't believe in it, you know? But I also understand that the level of promos in this business is not what it was 20 years ago. So what happened? How do we get, you know? And I always tell people, like, when I was in the business and I was a wrestler and a manager... I cut promos all the time, into the mirror, in the car, when I was walking the dog, whatever. That's all I did was think about my stuff. And the other thing is, like, don't wait for me or someone else necessarily to come up with stuff for you. Well, you know, they never have anything for me. To me, it's like I always say, you know, take Vince McMahon, Pat Patterson, uh, Eddie Graham, and Paul Heyman, you know, Jim Cornette, all the best bookers of all time, whoever your list is. And whatever they come up with for you might not be as good as what, they, what Sam Roberts comes up with for Sam Roberts. Why? Because that team of bookers has to think about 80 or 100 guys. You think if you're smart and you're taking care of your business, you only think about Sam Roberts. Right. So it's like, right. So it's like I would spend 24 hours a day thinking about stuff that, I could, that could get me over and could help the company. And so I would then come to them. Because if you wait, what, what happens when you wait... I'll give you an example. When I came to TNA for my, my 0304 run, I came in to hang out with Scott Demore, and so I had something to do. We're buddies. But I was long past the stage of fighting for my character or whatever, I, you know, which I learned from Raven, by the way. Full props to Scotty. Mm -hmm. I was just like, you mean you... I'm just here to get paid, Yeah. and I don't care. Like, I fought for my character in ECW. I remember one night, I, I was a top heel in the company. I had all kinds of heat, network, whatever. And we're like on a house show and Paul wasn't there and Tommy Dreamer was like, oh, well, you know, why don't we have so-and-so do this to you? And I'm like, I'm, I'm not doing that. He's like, what do you mean you're not doing it? I go, because Paul and I have an agreement and an understanding that we built me up so much that if I'm going to get got, then you're going to have to pay for it. And that wasn't a Tommy thing. It was just like, you know, sometimes on a show you're just trying to build pops. Right. And so... And, and so I just said, like, no, I'm not doing it. And then I'm like, let's get Paul on the phone. And then Paul, of course, said, no, no, no. People have to pay to see Don get touched. 
So sometimes you have to, but when I was in TNA, I didn't care. Cause I was like, I'm out of the business. I don't want to fight with, argue with creative. I don't want to like, I'm not taking bumps, but whatever else you want me to do, I'll do. So just let me know. So it was like, they put me out there and it'd be like, God bless them, Dutch Mantelli. Be like, you know, you, you know, you should smoke a pipe. Smoking a pipe is idiotic, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Maybe that got heat in the seventies. I don't know, and I don't mean to disparage Dutch because he's one of the smartest guys about the business. But it was a dumb idea, right? You know, for me. But I just went, yeah, no problem, and I went out there and smoked a pipe. Then it was a bow tie. I'm like, yeah, no problem. Where do I get another? Where do I get a bow tie? No problem. I don't care because number one, I, I was like, well, I'm not here long term. Number two, they, they're treating me well. Jeff and Dutch were cool. And it was like, you know, number three, it sounds arrogant, but you put me out there in a burlap sack with a microphone, I will get over. And so even with all that, by, I remember like two months in, uh, and I know this because Scott Demore was in the creative meeting, it was like, well, Jeff's the world champion. He doesn't have a lot of heat. Don Callis somehow has a ton of heat. Let's put Jeff with Don. So I was managing the world champion. But once I had Jeff, I never got to talk anymore, which was ridiculous. But, um, but it was just like, I just didn't really care. So it was like, well, I'll just go out there and do whatever. But if you're in this business, you should care. I mean, yeah. That wasn't right. You don't want to get to that phase. But, um, you know, but, but then if you're like that, then don't complain. Right, my point. right, right, right. You guys know how much I love SeatGeek, and I'm sure that Don Callis loves it too. How could you not love SeatGeek, especially if you're a wrestling fan? Part of the fun of being a wrestling fan is getting to go to live shows. I go to live shows all the time. You know why I go to live shows all the time? Because I don't have to worry about the hassle of buying tickets online. Because SeatGeek has helped me out. That's why I'm loyal to them. That's why they are so loyal to the Not Sam Wrestling Podcast and why you should support them and only them when it comes to tickets. Listen, they do all the work for you. They search multiple ticket sites and they grade every ticket that they have available based on value. You can see it on the app yourself. I have it on my phone. You go and they show you all the seats that are available. They tell you what concerts, sporting events, wrestling shows, Broadway shows, comedy shows, whatever you want to see, they're going to have tickets for. They're going to show you what's available. They're going to grade the tickets based on value, and they're going to guarantee that you're going to get them authentically. It's amazing. Not only are you getting the best deal, but I'm going to make sure you get an even better deal. How? Because my listeners, the Not Sam Wrestling listeners, are getting $20 off of your first SeatGeek purchase. That's right. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code SAM today. That's promo code SAM for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek. Life's an event. We have the tickets back to Don Callis. What was uh, to come from WWE world at the time, late 90s WWE, into that sort of last run in ECW? And that was when ECW was like really ramping up into becoming a national property, you know? I mean, I think that you were at the show at the Westchester County Center. Probably. You know, it was when it was a TV taping or whatever. But but that's to say national TV, regular pay-per-views, action figures, magazines. How was Paul Heyman at running that company and it being creative and, and what was the experience um, like? I, I don't know, like on the corporate side, I think Paul gets knocked a lot. Oh yeah. yeah. But I don't know that cause I never saw it. Uh-huh. You know, I offered to help Paul and you know, with stuff, but it's like, I don't know that. Like that's all secondhand stuff. I can only imagine what Paul, like with my current job, I can only imagine what Paul had to deal with. There's a lot of pressure on him. Um, creatively, 
Paul Heyman did more for me as a, as a boss than anyone I've ever worked for in this business because, and they're like, oh, what did he do? And I went, he didn't do anything. And what I mean by didn't do anything is, Paul Heyman put me out there and let me succeed or fail on my own merits. He gave me a platform. He didn't do the worst thing we can do in pro wrestling, which is impede talent. It's like the Hippocratic Oath for doctors. Mm -hmm. First rule is what? For do no harm. Right, of course. Right? I'm not a doctor, but I'll take a, your word well, for I it. I am. Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if, you have a, if you have a patient and the patient has a sore stomach, right. you don't friggin' cut him open stem to stern to do exploratory surgery. Do no harm. So Paul put me out there. He gave me, he put a microphone in my hand. He gave me a chance. Paul Heyman never told me one thing to say. Really? And, and I, it took me a while to figure it out. And Paul's so smart, you know, but I was like, and I thought I was pretty smart, but I was dumb because I didn't figure this out. I'm like, why isn't he teaching me? Because I wanted to learn from him, just like I wanted to learn from Jim Cornette. It's like, I'm a sponge, and I'm a big believer in, like, the mentor relationship in any job, you know? So I'm like, man, I wish he would, like, tell me the secrets, Paul, of how to get, you know? And I remember one time I came out and I cut this promo, and, like, you know, I'm very insecure as a performer, like a lot of creative people would be. And I remember I came back and, and I, like, almost caused a riot. Like, it was, it was incredible heat. And I saw Paul, he didn't say anything. And I go, um, Paul, like any notes for me? He goes, no, just keep doing what you're doing. And I'm like, like, does he not give a shit? But right. then I realized it's like, no, if, if he doesn't like it, he will let you know. He's letting me do my thing. Now with other people, I would see Paul, when Paul would do promos with Lance Storm and, and Just Incredible, PJ Polacco, my boy, um, he would get very involved. Paul would cut the promo for Lance and PJ word for word. Then they would do the promo. And, and this is why, I mean, they both sounded like Paul on promos. because. And I'm like, wow, he's really coaching them. If you think about it, Paul Heyman put a microphone in my hand. Um, I, would, I had come up with this I'm office gimmick, you know, yeah. which, is a, which was a rib on kind of the George Costanza Seinfeld yeah. thing. And, I, and I, was, I was picking up things I'd seen from agents and office employees in WWE, you know, different things. And um, I mean, the Joel Gert, when I fired, was going to fire Joel Gertner, the speech was the exact word for word speech that Bruce Pritchard gave me when he fired me, which, <laughs> which I, kind of like, like, I, don't, I, don't, I have no problem with Bruce Pritchard, but right. like, it's like, I just thought it was funny. I'm like, they're like, what if Bruce sees that? I'm like, well, he'll probably have a laugh. Like, it's right. funny, right? Um, but it's like, so I created the character and then Paul was smart enough to go, you're going to be network. I'm like, oh, you're painting the network as a heel. So, so all Paul did for me, which is everything, was put a microphone in my hand, went, go out there and be a heel. And that's exactly what, and, and put me on commentary mm -hmm. and never gave me one note, never talked to Joey and I in the earphone. Which, by the way, I mean, I think it should be said that you doing, common, you doing color in ECW. First ever. That's why it's as risky as it gets because yeah. all the ECW fans have been conditioned to know yeah. that Joey Styles is the sole voice. The paradigm yes. that was working already. Yes. And, and to Joey's credit, Joey was pushing Paul to work with me because Joey had seen me in WWF and loved my stuff. So God bless Joey Styles. Yeah. But Paul Heyman let me go out there and he never said word one to me about anything. And the two times that I did segments with Paul, the real money in ECW, if we were going to do it right, with my network character as a blow-off never, should never have been me and Gertner. It should have been me murdering Gertner 
and then Tommy Dreamer making the save. The real money was for the soul of ECW, Tommy Dreamer versus uh, Cyrus. That was what it was. And or it would have been Paul, but Paul wasn't a wrestler. And that was the other thing that was different about me. I was this manager guy who could also go and have a passable wrestling match. So Paul just, Paul did everything for me. And the two segments I did with Paul, I still remember it. Milwaukee, Wisconsin, when I, when we, when I stripped Rob Van Dam, my character stripped Rob Van Dam of the world TV title. And I made, as a network executive, I forced Paul Heyman to come out with the belt, with Rob's belt, and hand it to me. And the segment, if you watch it, is totally organic. We didn't plan it. But it, the intensity of Paul and I in each other's face, the corporate rebel, as I called him, and me, the ultimate network a-hole, and we're just in each other's face. And, and I'm telling him, it's okay. Here comes Allie. Hi, Allie. Hi. How are you? Hi. <laughs> um, uh, and I'm telling Paul, you know, you know, you're going to do what I say because I tell you how this goes. You're going to give me that belt. And then he's like, no, I'm not going to give it to you. I'm like, you're giving it to me. No, I'm not going to give it to you. We're back and forth, back and forth, spits flying. And I go, give me it. Give it to me, Paul. Give it to me, Paul. And then he looks at the crowd, just perfect. And they're going nuts. And he looks away, and then he cold cocks me with a belt. And the pop and the heat. And then Rhino and I murdered him afterwards. I had another segment with him in Hammerstein Ballroom. Might have been one of the last shows we ever did. And again, the heat when Paul and I were out there on the mic was incredible. Yeah. So I, I, I love Paul. I appreciate well, what Paul did for me. And know? that style of teaching would also kind of force you as a performer to start uh, being a little bit more secure in your own performance in the sense that I think most performers even when they get that reaction from the crowd, they need that person to tell, give you the pat on the back and yeah. tell you you did a good I w- job. Look, I was exactly the same. I was in a theater program in university mm-hmm. as like an undergrad or whatever, or a, a, a minor in theater. I was in a theater program, so it was cool. And I was in a couple of plays where I was like starring in the play. And I remember like the director, like after like, you know, we're doing a run for 14 days or whatever. And, like, after the third day, like, he's, you know, we're doing the same show every night. He's not saying that. I was like, was that okay? And he's like, you don't need me to tell you that every night. You know it's okay, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And so Paul was great. I have nothing but great things to say about Paul Heyman. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, Were you surprised at uh, Jericho's tweet the other day to to New Japan letting them know that you should not only be the color commentator on all New Japan shows but on all shows in general (laughs) (laughs) well for a while people were speculating whether I was going to be calling everything Um, I jokingly said to Tommy Dreamer like book me for House of Hardcore so I can say I did that too um, you know, Which is I'm, amazing coming from a guy, by the way, who not that long ago was out of the business and just doing some things kind of for fun. Paul, uh, or sorry, uh, Tommy Dreamer texted me when I, when I came in with Scott to take over this company with Ed. He texted me, he's like, greatest comeback in the history of the wrestling business. Out for 15 years, um, podcast, uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling, and now running Impact. He's like, never been done before. Right. And uh, it's almost like... Uh, there's like a Steven Seagal movie where he was like in a coma for seven years and he wakes <laughs> up. It was almost, it's almost like that, right? Yeah. And so um, I wasn't surprised by Chris's tweet because uh. first off, Chris believes that. Second off, Chris is a loyal guy, you know? And so look, I mean, if you ask me and I'm biased, you know, I'm the best color commentator of the last 20 years. 
I'm sure Corey Graves probably thinks he's the best, and he might. He's probably way better than me. I'd never. I don't listen to the show, not because I don't want to, because I don't have the time. You know, and, and any of us that are any good think we're the best, right? So it's like, you know, do I think I'd be better than some of the names that I've heard that are my potential replacements? By the way, I haven't been told I'm being replaced, so it's like, <laughs> it's all speculation. Sure. Um, you know, am I a better color commentator than? some random guy or leaping Lanny Poffo, God bless him, I love Lanny. Well, of course I am. Right. But that, it's their decision to make. But I mean, Chris is making a point, which is, look, at the end of the day, Kevin Kelly and I, and this is my opinion, but I think it's the opinion of a lot of people, Kevin Kelly and I have had whatever, something special. We had the Gorilla Monsoon, Bobby Heenan uh, uh, dynamic. We had chemistry, right? Now, why you would want to break that up, I have no idea. I, and frankly, until all of this stuff blew up in The Observer a week or so ago and then Chris's tweet, I hadn't thought about it a lot because I'm a sort of busy guy, mm-hmm. right, as you can imagine. So I'm like, oh, I, I haven't really thought about New Japan. And, and, so, and that's not a bad thing. I, I love my time there, and I love the locker room and Tiger Atori. I'll get a kick out of him. Like, they're all great guys, but it's like I hadn't thought about it. Um, so will I go back at some point? I don't know. I mean... People talk about, like, well, he's too busy. It's like, yeah, I'm really busy. But I used to joke, like, I'm on the Young Bucks schedule. Bring me in for the big shows. Make them special. Kevin and I are a great team. You know, do yeah. that. Um, and if it were Chris Jericho's decision, I'm sure that's, that's what would be <laughs> happening. You know, so. Well, look, I mean, I think it's a good time to be Don Callis. Killing the town is blowing up podcast charts and impact yeah, wrestling is being talked about i think in a pot more there are more people talking about impact in a positive way than i believe have been yeah. in years mm. and uh yeah and i mean obviously people are praising your work in in new japan and and the commentary work you're doing here as well so and i should say like i've been very lucky because in wwf i got to work with jim ross which mm-hmm. was kind of like a bucket list thing for me um in ecw I got to work with Joey, and I think Joey and I were really revolutionary as a team. We were the f- I was the first color commentary doing some of the insider stuff because I recognized how the business was starting to change then. So I might have been the first color commentator ever to say kayfabe, and that might, not, might or might not be a good thing. I don't know. But there was a lot of inside stuff on ECW, and, and Joey and I had wonderful chemistry. We never scripted a thing. It was great, and it's why Eric Bischoff, when he was going to buy WCW, his first call was to Joey and I to be the commentator team on Nitro. I then got to work with with uh, Kevin, and Kevin and I were friends in WWF in 97, and we developed a special chemistry. I've now gotten to work with Josh Matthews, who I have a great time with, and he's fantastic. And if you look at what the commentary was here um, before I came in and, and what kind of people were saying about it, it wasn't positive. So, and, and I never liked that because I thought Josh is a really great commentator and he's somehow getting heat on him from fans. So it's like, and that's done a 180. Like, people love us, mm-hmm. you know, or so they tell us. <laughs> um, and, and I guess I have something to say about whether I get to do commentary here or not. But yeah, uh, but yeah I've been real lucky to have great partners that let me do my thing because I'm not the guy who's going to, like, you know, prepare hours and hours of, like, notes what I do is I think I think like a booker I think like a promoter I think like a marketer 
And then I have relationships with the talent, like in New Japan ECW, and I talk to the boys. Yeah. And I get their input on their characters because they know their characters best. And, and you can do that if you've got a guy. I can do that and pretend to be Jesse Ventura if I've got a guy like Joey or Kevin or Josh who are great preparers, you know. But, you know, people say, like, oh, do you and Kevin, like, practice lines? It's like, no. It's all organic. Yeah. And that's why it's good. So it's, I've been real lucky. You know, I've been lucky to be around great people. I'm, I'm lucky to be around a great locker room here and a great corporate team. It, it's great to feel like I'm a part of something. And that Impact Wrestling is, I think, in the last eight months, we've been able to change things, like, almost 180 I, did, I would not have told you it would take that short a time. When I started, I thought it was going to take a little over a year. So I think we're on a great track, and I get excited. That's the other thing, you know, doing commentary. I get excited watching the athletes here, you know, whether it's Sammy Callahan or it's, or it's you know, Johnny Impact. I mean, uh, Penta Phoenix, you know, oh, yeah. all these guys. It's just awesome. Yeah. Well, congrats on everything, man. I appreciate you giving me the time. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. Here is Sam Roberts. I'll bet you didn't even know how interested you would be in Don Callis, did you? What a great interview. Uh, Hopefully, next time Impact is around New York, we'll be able to talk to him again. Because I felt like, you know, Don Callis was one of those guys that I felt like after I sat down with him, within five minutes of talking to him, I was like, we could do this for hours. Like, and I've been watching him for a long time. You know, I, I was... I guess I'm the perfect age for it, and I was so obsessed and have been so obsessed with wrestling this entire time that, you know, I, I know, I, I just found, when, you know, I'm going through all, a bunch of my old figures that I'm getting from my mom and dad's house, which I've named Freebay, because every time I go to my mom and dad's house now, I find an old box of wrestling figures that I had, and I get to bring it back to the house, absolutely for free. There's stuff that I would buy on eBay, but it's in my mom's closet because I already paid for it. So, my mom and dad's house, Freebay. I went to Freebay and I got a big box of figures and one of the bone crunchers that I found in there was the Jackal figure. You know, to go from from the Jackal to Cyrus the Virus to kind of disappearing for a while to popping up again in the podcast world, then over to New Japan, now taking over Impact. It really is an amazing story that Don Callis has, has told and I'm glad that he shared it with us. Look, there is no video for the interview this week, of course, you know that if you want video for the State of Wrestling segment, the only place to watch it is on Patreon for the Not Sam Shells at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. But that's also what we offer you is uh, the videos of every interview that we do the same day the podcast comes out. Sometimes they take a little while to upload to YouTube. You get to watch the videos. For instance, if you uh, were listening to the episode last week of the live show with Corey Graves and Pat McAfee and Dalton Castle and Bruce Pritchard, you guys that are not Sam Shells on Patreon have already been able to watch that show on video. It's not on the YouTube channel yet. That's exclusively for the Not Sam Shells at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. So, since there is not... Uh, a, uh, uh, a video of Don Callis, I'm putting a bonus show up on Patreon. Now, I know you're already saying, we already talked about this, you've got all those captive audience shows that are going up on Patreon. Yes, that's true, but I'm putting another bonus show up for you. Uh, of course, Don Callis' partner in TNA right now, Scott Diamore. Scott has been around wrestling forever. He was a wrestler. He, he's been a manager. He's been a trainer. He's been everything in wrestling, and he's a super interesting guy. When I was at the Melrose Ballroom, I didn't just interview Don Callis. 
I interviewed Scott as well. For the Not Sam Shills, and I'm going to make it available for every level, bottom to the top, if you are a Not Sam Shill at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling, by Monday, I will upload the bonus show, my interview with Scott D'Amour from Impact Wrestling. So, you know, and, and, and it is a fascinating conversation. We get into how he ended up touching as many parts of the wrestling business as he had. We get into being a part of the Bullet Club. We get into his interactions with the Machine Gun, Carl Anderson, brother. We get into all kinds of stuff and how he, how he ended up in the position that he's in in TNA. He's really a fascinating dude. Uh, and if you want to hear that conversation, you've got to be a Not Sam Shill. Become a shill at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. So before we get in to the state of wrestling, I thought we would address uh, Crown Jewel. Because really, uh, you know, that is the story, right? That's the number one story of the week for sure. But I think it expands beyond wrestling. And I think it's bigger than one of five stories in the state of wrestling. So I thought we would take a moment to talk about it here. I, you know, last week... And this really started to unfold for me anyway. Maybe it's because I was in Disney World uh, for most of last week. But Thursday of last week is when I really started to read articles about the journalist that was presumably killed in the Saudi Arabian consulate in Istanbul. The journalist was an American resident, not a citizen, but a resident. He was a Saudi he, he was from Saudi Arabia. He had left there, but he had been, you know, in tight with the royal family for a long time. Like, he, he was an insider in Saudi Arabia, and he had done a lot of stuff. He was a journalist over there as well. But he had been critical of them, and it wasn't good. So he ended up coming to the States. He was a columnist for the Washington Post here in the U.S., and he lived in Virginia. His fiance lived in Istanbul. So he went to Istanbul to get uh, marriage papers, and he went to the uh, Saudi Arabian consulate to get his papers. Now, apparently, the Saudi Arabian people did not like him, right? They did not like he w- what he was saying. And they had, according to his friends, tried to get him into their country for a long time. Like, they were trying, they were offering him jobs, they were doing this, and he told his fiance, I'm not going back there. I don't trust him, I'm not going there, apparently. This is what the news has reported. And... What happened was he went to Istanbul, he went into the Saudi Arabian consulate, he told, he asked his fiance to wait in the car, she waited in the car, he went into the building, and he never came out. And, you know, you can do your own research into reading what might have happened and, and the theories about what happened there. We've been talking about it a lot on my morning show on Sirius XM, Sam, uh, Jim Norton and Sam Roberts. Uh, I don't think this is is a wrestling podcast, so it's not really the venue to get into all that. But it comes back to WWE because already we're talking about, look, Saudi Arabia is now being accused of at least killing a journalist, killing a journalist that lived in the United States in their own embassy in Istanbul. So now the question about WWE's involvement with Saudi Arabia has become even bigger. Uh, as far as the first show went, and as far as the whole deal goes, I don't have an issue with the argument that WWE is looking to be a part of the modernization of Saudi Arabia. I don't have an issue with the argument that the WWE is looking to change the culture so that because of what they do now, eventually 
they will have things like women's matches in Saudi Arabia. You know, I, 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 I can buy into the argument. We can have the discussion that if you don't do anything in Saudi Arabia, if you go, okay, well, if the women can't wrestle, we're not going to go over there. Okay, that might never change. Maybe the WWE can go over there. Maybe the culture can see what they have to offer. Maybe, you know, it would become okay for women to wrestle. You know, it happened in Abu Dhabi with Sasha Banks and, and Alexa Bliss. So I'm okay with all that stuff. I'm okay with the deal. You know, Saudi Arabia has done a lot of questionable things. But I'm okay, I'm okay with the deal in general. I personally believe... My own personal opinion, I haven't talked to anybody about this. I don't know anything about these stories. Oh, the WWE superstars are, are, are uh, uncomfortable going over there. I think if WWE superstars were really uncomfortable going over there, they would say, hey, man, I don't want to go over there. You know, I think that that would be okay. The WWE is not firing anybody because they're not going. If, if people were uncomfortable going there, they're not indentured servants, you know. Uh, but my own personal opinion is that because of this story, and because honestly, the U.S. is still figuring out whether they're going to have to retaliate against Saudi Arabia. I don't think that Crown Jewel should take place in Saudi Arabia. I think that the show sh should go on. The show must go on. A big investment has been made into this show. And it's going to cost WWE. It's going to cost them money. You know, I think that the show is booked around the fact that Saudi Arabia is putting a lot of money into it. That's why you have Brock Lesnar and Undertaker and Shawn Michaels and Triple H and Kane and, you know, this eight-man tournament and all this stuff going on. Big paydays for all these guys, I'm sure. But I think WWE's got to eat this one. They were featured on Vice. They were featured on John Oliver this week. And it's not good press. You know, I think that what they're trying to figure out now is probably, you know, what's going to affect them as a business more, going or not going, you know? What are the investors who they're responsible to? How are they going to react positively? How, how, how are they going to react? What are they going to react more positively to, going or not going? I think that due to what's going on here, and due to the fact that each day as articles come out, it looks worse and worse, not better. And clearly WWE is aware of this. If you're watching, they're not saying Saudi Arabia on the, on the banners on anything anymore. You know, this whole week, two shows where it's nothing but Crown Jewel promotion. Almost, you know, Evolution promotion as well. But a ton of promotion for the Crown Jewel pay-per-view. And no mention of where it's taking place. Obviously that's on purpose. You know, I, I, I think... WWE, I, I would expect that they have a backup plan already. And at this moment, if you ask me today, I think they should use the backup plan. I think that WWE should move it. I know it's short notice. It might be tough to do it another spot internationally. But, I mean, is the Barclays open? You know what I mean? Let's figure out. Luckily, they have their own network. So, you know, instead of doing it Friday afternoon, you could do it Friday night, whatever you need to do. But... You know, I, I, I think and I think WWE needs to figure out how to do this show outside of Saudi Arabia. If they want to go back, go back. We can have that discussion separately at another time. But I think for this one, for the sake of everybody involved and, and just, the, you know, the press involved and what's going on, I think it would be a better thing if they did it outside of Saudi Arabia. Just my thoughts on all that. Let's get into everything else that's going on in this world of pro wrestling. Let's get into the state of wrestling. It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. 
Welcome to the State of Wrestling. Of course, if you're one of the lucky people that are not Sam Shills on Patreon, you get to watch this as well. The video exclusively available at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling for the Not Sam Shills. You already know what we do here in the State of Wrestling, and that is countdown the list of the top five stories in the world of pro wrestling this week, according to yours truly, the last professional broadcaster, Sam Roberts. And it's an interesting week. Of course, we covered Saudi in the and the crown jewel and what maybe WWE should do in the bridge segment. So if you're looking for that in the state of wrestling, you're not going to find it. You shouldn't have skipped segments. Speaking of skipping, a lot of people last week were tweeting me going, what happened to the state of wrestling? I turned on, I must have missed something. Is the state of wrestling no more? I think I said at the beginning of the show, we're not doing it last week. We're not doing a state of wrestling because I was out of town and couldn't do it topically. And that's why I put on the special Caroline show. But if you skipped the intro, you would have missed that part too. So stop skipping around parts of the show, okay? That should be number five this week, but we're sticking to wrestling stories, okay? And the number one story we're going to have some fun with. So number five is TNA or Impact Wrestling, as it is now known as uh Don Callis refers to it, and everybody referring to Impact Wrestling refers to it. Number five is Impact Wrestling's Bound for Glory, and more specifically, the Austin Aries situation. So first of all, uh, I watched uh, Bound for Glory, and I think TNA is doing good pay-per-views. You know, I think it's it's TNA, or I'm sorry, Impact Wrestling. I keep seeing, seeing, saying TNA, but it's just, it's not for any reason other than the fact that that's just what I'm used to saying. I mean, if you go through the WWE pre-shows, you'll find me saying WWF in 2018 on WWE TV, okay? I'm a, I'm, I'm a hard-headed person. I'm not a fast learner, is the point. Even if it's only about three letters. You know, these are, these are where three-letter words are stuff that kids learn in, like, first grade. Cat, C-A-T. Probably before first grade. Probably kindergarten. Maybe the really smart ones, the Doogie Housers of the world, before they even get to kindergarten. Dog, D-O-G. I'm good with those. I know the, a lot of those three-letter words. Um, rock, R-O-K. Oh. The C is silent. Uh, but for some reason, when you explain to me what the name of a wrestling promotion is, sometimes I find it difficult to... Uh, Remember the proper branding, but deal with me here. Work with me here. We're talking about Impact Wrestling, and we're talking about another three letters, BFG, Bound for Glory. Impact is doing good pay-per-views, and certainly better pay-per-views than they've done in quite some time. I think the last three are were good. Not like earth-shattering, amazing pay-per-views, right? They're not these pay-per-views where you go to somebody that hasn't watched wrestling in 15 years and go, dude, you gotta see what's going on here at Impact Wrestling, but... If you're a wrestling fan and you're looking for something that's not WWE and you're looking for a spot where you can see uh, certain independent talent and you're looking for a spot where you can see guys that are being talked about, you know, Sammy Callahan, Pentagon, Phoenix, guy, and some of your favorites from previously in WWE, John Morrison, or of course Austin Aries, Impact Wrestling is a, is a good alternative. And it's only getting better. You know, it's something that... Uh, I talked about with Scott D'Amour from Impact, which is they're doing a good job under the new regime of not trying to be everything for everybody and instead rebuilding the foundation. See, most of the time when people take over a company, 
that's like not the healthiest of companies, they try to build on the foundation that's already there. But if the company's not healthy, guess what? It doesn't have healthy roots. So impact, I feel like when I watch it, I, I feel a company that's rebuilding its roots, which I think is very, very important at this stage in the game. Um, and I see a company that is focusing on what they think they do well and what they can control. They're not trying to seem bigger than they actually are. They're doing small venues, right? Because we'd rather fill up 200 seats than be in a 500-seat venue that's half full. Let's fill up the 200-seat venue instead. So they're doing these small venues. They're focusing on the wrestling. They're doing, you know, I thought the uh, 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 vignette that they did, first of all, I thought it was, I don't know, because I think wrestlers would have a different opinion on the match that they did where they pulled the canvas off the ring, the death match that they ring. I've never seen anything like that. To me, it looked very dangerous, but as a fan, it was appealing because it was dangerous. So I enjoyed seeing stuff like that. I would love to get the opinion of a wrestler and find out if it really is better or worse. Like, I got worried because I saw the boards moving, right? And I felt like if you get slammed on that and one of the boards shift, you get, like, the fat on your arm pinch. That would kill. I would hate that. Now, I don't know if guys like LAX are worried about pinching the fat on their arms or even if they have fat on their arms to pinch. Maybe that's my problem. I don't know for sure. But... Uh, I thought that that was at least something new, different, and looked brutal. Like, it looked real, right? Um, I thought that the, the women's vignette that they did to buy time when they were re-canvassing the ring was great. I love that they're doing these mini-movies, you know? I think they should take a stab at it. Honestly, even the bad ones. When you look at WCW and you think about WCW, most of what you think about is the NWO, Monday Nitro, you know, the Monday Night Wars. But if you go before the Monday Night Wars and you think about WCW, what happened in WCW before there was a Nitro? Before Hogan and Macho Man and those guys were all there. When it was just WCW and they weren't really making their bones off of talent that had made their bones in WWE. And it doesn't take long in that conversation to come back to the mini-movies that they did. And I think that Dusty Rhodes was the one that was in charge then. That would like the White Castle of Doom or the White Castle of Fear, whatever it was. And the little person that was swimming around and Sting and Vader. They, amazing. Corny, cheesy, ridiculous, but amazing. I don't know what it is. I love mini movies. I feel like it's at least a stab at being creative. You know, you're you're trying to develop characters in an interesting way. And I thought I thought it was cool. I thought it was fun. But what got the world talking what got Twitter talking, what got what everybody going after that show, and what was trending worldwide after that show, was, of course, Austin Aries walking out, theoretically, on the company. So uh, Johnny Impact hit the finisher, Starship Pain, got the pinfall, 1-2-3, became the champion of Impact Wrestling, but Austin Aries no-sells the finish. He takes the pin, but he kind of gets right up no selling the move. He gets out of the ring. He's on the apron. He flips the bird to Don Callis, who's sitting above in commentary. Their commentary position was in the upper balcony. So he's flipping the bird at Don Callis, kind of uh, acknowledging that this is a guy who's making a lot of decisions. And then on camera view, he leaves as Morrison or Johnny Impact is celebrating. 
he walks out with the bird flipping and the, and the fingers going and everybody going, what the hell just happened? Um, and that's the debate that's going on, right? The news came out uh, right after, I think the, the Monday of this week, after Bound for Glory, that Austin Aries, that was his last match in Impact Wrestling. Um, and the debate is raging on. Work, shoot, work, shoot, somewhere in the middle, you tell me. So I have no idea. And it was mum's the word. I went over to the to uh, um, Tuesday of this week, this before the second day of TV taping, I went to the Melrose Ballroom in Queens, did a couple interviews for the show, as you heard earlier, unless you're skipping around, which you're a fool if you are. But uh, and and hung out, saw Josh Matthews again, and we talked about that earlier. But um, the everybody was mum's the word about the Austin Aries thing, and I didn't ask a ton of questions about it. You know, I'm not going to be that guy. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm Sam Roberts. I'm, I'm Scoops Roberts. Um, do you have any comment on the Austin Aries? Like, I'm not going as a reporter for the daily nonsense. You know what I mean? I'm going to see some friends, to hang out, to say hello, to see what the operation looks like, and to thank them for their hospitality. That's it. It's a beautiful thing to not consider yourself a journalist. If you consider yourself a journalist and you go into the Melrose Ballroom after that Austin Aries thing and you've got access to these people... You better be asking them, work, work, shoot, shoot, what are we dealing with here? Because that's what people want to know. But if you're like me, if you just happen to be the last professional broadcaster, not a journalist, you don't have to be scoops. So I wasn't scoops, uh, but I was listening and people weren't really talking about it at all. So I don't have any official uh, answer on that, but I watched it a couple times. And if I had to guess right now, I mean, it's, it's a work. If I had to guess right now, my personal opinion, yeah, I mean, it, it didn't, I, I thought that the fight at the Hall of Fame uh, ceremony between Austin Aries and Johnny Impact was, I mean, it was good. I love that Johnny Impact's getting on TMZ for it. I like that it's getting people talking, but it, it wasn't, it didn't seem like a real fight. You know, it didn't seem like there was actually pull apart going on. And, and I, I think that if there was a real fight. Like, I'm not getting Austin, uh, 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 Brett Sean vibes from Johnny Impact and Austin Aries. Now, is there a possibility that they actually don't like each other? Of course there is. And I hope that they actually don't like each other because it's going to make them perform better. But I think that the, it, was a plan, it was a staged fight at the Hall of Fame. And my personal opinion is that it was a work shoot. Now, I am not in favor of the way they did it. You know, I think that... Austin, even if you're doing, you know, something that is supposed to trick the internet, trick the fans, maybe even trick the boys, who knows? I still think that for the for the health of the business as a whole, Austin Aries has to sell the finishing move. You know, because at the end of the day, yes, we all know it's scripted, but we need to believe that there's a suspension of disbelief. We need to understand the parameters of the world that we're looking at. If you watch Breaking Bad, right, and Walter White is slanging meth and he's cooking and Jesse is there and everything's happening, you can buy it. You don't sit there and actually think that Brian Cranston is a drug dealer, but in this world that's set up for you, you're good to go. Now, if episode 13 pops around and Walter White starts flying 
from house to house to deliver his drugs, well, then you're going to sit there and say, I don't want to watch this show anymore. This is stupid. I invested my time into it. And now you're trying to make me believe that this drug dealer can fly. People can't fly. I don't care how much meth they do. Done. I'm out. It gets frustrating. The parameters of the world that we're supposed to live in and the reasons that we're supposed to care about what we're watching are set up in any show that tells any story, which is what pro wrestling is. So I think that if we are subconsciously telling the audience, hey, you know, don't worry too much because the finish isn't even real anyway. Like Johnny Impact pinned him. But clearly, if Austin Aries wanted to, he could have kicked out. When eventually, when we get to a rematch between the two, like, I mean, I I guess you could say that Austin Aries was laying down because he was told to, and you're going to have to do a lot more than that to beat me. But there's got to be an explanation as to why he walked out no-selling. Because walking out no-selling the moves as the finish... I think is different than doing all the rest of the stuff. All the rest of the stuff I was cool with, all the rest of the stuff I was interested in. I just think that unless you're going to give an explanation as to why Johnny Impact's finish did not hurt Austin Aries, it's not a good thing. You can't just say, well, it's not real and everybody knows it. Yeah, I understand that, but make us believe a little bit, you know? Uh, But I do think that Austin Aries will be back at some point. Um, And I like that that Impact is doing things that are making people talk, and who knows? Maybe they wouldn't have made people talk if they hadn't done it this way. I still think they would have, personally, but who am I, other than the last professional broadcaster? Uh, Story number four is Raw, and the criticisms that Raw has been receiving, and I read them, you know, and I watch Raw, and it is repetitive, you know? Well, here's the thing. Raw... Still, after all this time of being three hours long, to me, Raw feels like there is a two-hour quality show being stretched out into three hours. And that the stories that they're telling are not built to be told week after week over a three-hour show. When I did the bonus podcast for Patreon with Peter Rosenberg coming off of Super Showdown in Australia, I said that the thing that I really liked about the six-man tag between The Shield... And Dolph Ziggler, Drew McIntyre, and Braun Strowman was that they made it feel like a pay-per-view-worthy match. I said, you could easily see this match happening on a Raw. But through the stories that were being told, it made you feel like this is worthy of a pay-per-view. Now, when I said you could totally see that match on Raw, I did not think that for the next, like, I don't know, what's it been? At least two, maybe three Raws you'd be main eventing with the exact same thing. And you are telling a story. Like, there is absolutely story movement between Super Showdown and right now. Like, there, there, there is a, a reason, theoretically, that this stuff is happening. But the story's moving a little bit slowly, and you have to have a different delivery method sometimes. You can't just go back to the well over and over again, or even if you're not even going to do it, just advertising the same match over and over again. It makes you feel like, ah, you know, I know how this goes. Unless there's something wildly different. Now, the story that's being told is is about, as we talked about, you know, and we kind of saw coming, uh, Drew McIntyre on one end 
and Dean Ambrose on the other end. And maybe there'll be some kind of uh, double turn. Maybe one of them is, is you know, a, a red herring. Who knows? And I'm interested, you know? I find myself interested in the dynamic that Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins have with Dean Ambrose. But, you know, I would like to see The Shield working with more than just Dolph Ziggler, Drew McIntyre, and Braun Strowman. And they can still be have a rivalry with them. But on Raw, why don't you have, you know, The Shield versus Titus Worldwide? Why don't you have The Shield versus The Revival and Elias? What about that match? The Shield versus The Revival and Elias. You still get a six-man tag. You still get all your Shield members in. But you get it gets to be a little fresh. And it can be broken up. By the Ziggler crew, you know what I mean? It could They could interfere. They could still be involved. I'm not saying forget about that storyline, but what I am saying is maybe come up with some new opponents because it feels like every week we're either seeing that six-man tag or we're seeing different iterations of those six guys in singles matches. And you can't just do the same thing week in, week out on TV. Now, the issue is that there is good stuff on Raw. I thought uh, last week that we didn't talk about because I was out of town, I went back and watched it, and I actually thought that was a very good episode of Raw in the sense that most of the segments had story going on. There was stuff happening on that episode. But think about this week. You know, it it certainly wasn't even close to all bad. You know, I thought that, uh, uh, you know, of course you had Rollins, Drew McIntyre, and The Shield, and... Braun Strowman and but but take all that out. If you take all the Braun Strowman and Seth Rollins and Shield and Dolph Ziggler and Dean Ambrose, all of those six guys, if you take them out of the equation, you've got interesting stuff. You know, I think that uh, uh, the Bobby Lashley thing is worth talking about. You know, is Bobby going to work as a heel? Unfortunately, I don't. The crowd in Philly was not into Bobby. I don't think, and that might have had something to do with how much S.H.I.E.L.D., Dolph Ziggler, Braun Strowman, uh, Drew McIntyre were seeing. But they didn't seem, the the crowd didn't seem super into Bobby Lashley. All that said, I do think it's working. Big picture-wise, I do think it's working ultimately. And uh, I I think it's going to be really, really good for everybody involved. I just think the world of Leo Rush, I think he's actually got to start saying more. I think he's got to be on that mic and and coming up with new things to say. And who knows? Maybe he's got he's following instructions. But I think he should take some advice from Don Callis, who we heard from earlier in the podcast, that he's got a live mic on TV. You know, get himself over, get Bobby over. And he can do it. Leo Rush can do it. I mean, he's been nothing but impressive every week. I just think he's got to come up with stuff to say. And I don't think it should even be written for him. I think he can do it. But now that that's the thing, and it's a you know new thing, what, two weeks old? Now that that's the thing, make it the thing. And Leo Rush should make it his thing. Because I think that that dynamic has a lot of potential that's not quite fully realized yet. But we've got it's early in the game. And we've got a lot of time. And I think Bobby Lashley could be an effective heel. You had the... Uh, Mickey James and Alexa Bliss confronting Trish Stratus and Lita. The most interesting part of that segment was the pop that Alexa Bliss got. Philly loved Alexa Bliss. And, you know, maybe that was just because 
I who knows what it was. Maybe they were waiting for that. They saw Trish and they were like, "Okay, we want to hear from Alexa. We want to hear from Alexa. Here she comes. Boom. Everybody's cheering." Now, they changed that match. It's now a tag match instead of a singles match. And we haven't talked about that. The fact that it was Lita versus Mickey James and Trish versus Alexa Bliss. Now it's Trish and Lita versus Alexa and Mickey James. Now on paper, I, I'm a little bit more excited about the singles matches, especially Alexa Bliss versus Trish Stratus. On paper, Alexa Bliss versus Trish Stratus sounds like a fantasy War of Generations video game match, action figure two-pack, something you never thought you'd see. It's It feels like it's, it's, you know, The Rock and John Cena to some extent. Maybe not quite that big, but as far as women go, you could make the argument. Now, I don't know if they decided that, you know, the expectations are going to be pretty high for that match. And if Trish Stratus hasn't wrestled in years, I mean, she wrestled at the Royal Rumble. She looked great at the Royal Rumble, by the way. So it made me think she's got a lot left in the tank, as the world's strongest man would say. But, you know, maybe, maybe she didn't want to do a singles match. Maybe Lita didn't want to do the singles match. Who knows? Um... But I think it'll I think it'll still be a really good tag team match. But I just was really like, wow, listen listen to the reaction that Alexa Bliss gets. Um I'm really I, I liked Apollo Cruz coming out and, and making a name for himself. I thought that that was good. Um The Kurt Angle Baron Corbin stuff is interesting. I think that I'm not I hope that it's leading to something beyond Crown Jewel. You know, hopefully maybe like a Survivor Series thing where it's Baron Corbin's team versus Kurt Angle's team, and Baron Corbin and Kurt Angle are actually in the ring for it. Depending on how Kurt Angle looks at Crown Jewel, theoretically we'll see him there. So uh, I guess that's when we'll know whether we want to see him in a Survivor Series match again. Uh, But, and there was, well, yeah, we all know the one other thing that we're about to do. Um, But I'm also curious, maybe I should ask Corey Graves. I'm also curious about uh, Corey Graves' call. In the middle of that Conquistador match, where it was the Conquistador versus Authors of Pain, like, I think all of us knew that that wasn't Kurt Angle. I don't know why they picked that guy to be the Conquistador. He didn't look like Kurt Angle. His body shape was a complete, he was taller, he was thinner, he, like, he didn't move like Kurt Angle. I don't think anybody thought that that was actually Kurt. Plus, the whole idea of the Conquistador, as was demonstrated a week earlier when Kurt Angle made his return, is that you could put anybody in that outfit the whole point is that the entire body is covered, so it doesn't matter. Um, but Corey Graves, you know, we were trying to be sold on, well, that's Kurt Angle in there, obviously. Why? I wonder why he's wearing that Conquistador outfit. I don't know. Maybe that's the only one he has. Corey Graves was the one person who goes, uh, I don't think that's Kurt Angle. He didn't even question it. He goes, no, I don't think that's him. Like, middle of the match. I don't think that's Kurt Angle. And, like, they're going, like, uh, what do you mean? Why? And then, you know, having uh, Rockstar Spud try to rip off, tell the authors of pain, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, take that guy's mask off. And in my mind, I'm going like, well, if we were watching on TV, we all figured it out thanks to Graves way before Drake did. But, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm interested in finding out whether that was a Corey Graves call or whether those were instructions. Maybe somebody in the back was watching and said, clearly this isn't Kurt Angle. We need to not treat the audience like they're dumb. Or maybe Corey Graves was just like, all right, this is enough is enough. I don't know. 
I might ask him, though. And of course, of course, on Raw, we found out that Sam Roberts could be referred to as Sam Stradamus. I couldn't have scripted the Bella's promo better. It was exactly what I put out there, minus the faction, which could come later for Survivor Series when they get the Divas on, on their side. But Nikki Bella, and Brie too, but Nikki Bella led that promo. And Nikki coming out and saying, the Divas were more important than what you're doing. The Divas were more important than anybody's giving them credit for. And owning, owning, and retaking the word Diva, making it a positive thing, and taking it for themselves, I was like, this is exactly what I was talking about. And I gotta be honest, I thought Ronda was absolute fuego. Ronda was on fire. I thought that Ronda promo was excellent. I thought the Bella, the Nikki Bella, the Bella's Ronda segment was a great segment. But I don't think in a world where we're celebrating that we're putting women on this pedestal, right? That we're celebrating that the female superstars are just as important as the male superstars and we're, we're gearing towards an all-female pay-per-view. I don't know if a good guy, female wrestler, should be saying that a bad guy, female wrestler, is only successful because of who they were sleeping with, because of who they were dating, because however you want to phrase it. You know, going back and saying it's like uh, when A.J. Lee said talent is not sexually transmitted, apparently. But A.J. was not like a baby face. She was not a pure good guy. You know, that's not a good guy thing to do, especially in this day and age. So I thought it was real. I thought it felt real. I thought it was nice that the gloves are coming off. You know, I got interested in this in this match, and all of a sudden, to me, it became something that should be like the main event of that show that should be on last. But, you know, I'm not sure if that was a real good guy thing to say. That's all. Not a, not even really a criticism. Just a, just a thought. Just a shower thought that I had. Um, but yeah, I'm, 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 I think that this is exactly the story that needs to be told between Rhonda and Nikki. I think that it's real. You know, I, I, I think that, that Nikki is representing the female superstar that was in the WWE for years before Ronda came around and jumped in with the evolution. Nikki did. What Nikki was saying wasn't false, which is why it works and why as a villain, she works because she's being truthful to herself. She's right. You know, Ronda is jumping on the bandwagon as the evolution is already happening. She's pushing it along, but she didn't start this thing. The Bellas were there from the start. So I love that. I thought that that was good and that that story is being told as it should. I just, I I think that, you know, there's, you could make a compelling two-hour show out of the material that's in that three-hour show. Raw, a lot of times, is like a double album. And I've said this before, that could be an amazing single album. But people were like, ah, I want to put all these songs on there, you know. Uh, let's go on to topic number three which is, it relates to Raw, it's Kevin Owens getting uh, surgery. He's going to be out possibly until next year's, past WrestleMania. Like, he's going to be out for a long time. And I really think that when Kevin Owens comes back, uh, he's going to be 
bigger than ever. You know, I, I think that they have an opportunity here. You know, you haven't redone, and we've talked about what happened with Triple H before. You know, and I talked about it with Court Bauer a couple weeks ago here on the podcast about what a big deal it was. Triple H's return from injury is, to me, the best injury return I can think of. Unless you can think of something else, you could tweet me and be like, you're nuts if you think Triple H. But to me, in recent memory, Triple H's quad return, when he came back to Madison Square Garden and got that ovation, that was the best return, and it was done properly in the sense that even though he left as a heel— People were ready to see him come back as a good guy. They were happy to see him. They were ready for him to be in the main event. It was time for Triple H. And he took advantage of it and grabbed the bull by the horn, and he performed like he'd never performed before. And it really was the launching pad into this next phase of his career. That could have happened with Seth Rollins, but he returned as a heel. Like, the WWE Network documentary that they made about Seth Rollins returning and recovering from injury turned Seth Rollins into my favorite wrestler. I watched that and I was like, confirmed. Seth Rollins is my favorite. And then to watch him go back to being that Weasley heel, I was like, what are we doing here? Why are we going backwards? And and then when he finally did become a babyface, Seth Rollins, it took him a little while to get that sour taste out of people's mouth, to convince them I am that guy. And he's there now because he's amazing because he's that good. But a lot of people probably wouldn't have been able to get there. I think we have to really take the pulse of the WWE universe before we reintroduce Kevin Owens in several months. Because, and I think you have to be ready to do it right. I think that people are going to be so happy to see Kevin Owens again. We have to take advantage of it. Look, before Kevin Owens' injury, I was thinking a lot about who Kevin Owens was. Because he's never he, he's never been buried, right? Like, he's never been forgotten about. He's always had a spot on the roster that is of prominence, whether it was his U.S. title run, whether it was his universal title run, whatever it was. But if we think about the Kevin Owens that showed up in NXT and then came off of NXT into WWE, the Kevin Owens that beat John Cena, You know, the Kevin Owens that answered the John Cena challenge as NXT champion. Remember that when he put his foot on the U.S. title and held up the NXT title? The the Kevin Owens that ran NXT, that was NXT champion, and then came to the main roster? That is a Kevin Owens that we need to see more of. It was less comedy, it was less weaselly, and it was more like this guy is going to hurt you. This guy has no soul. And I think that we can see a version of that. That is, we we need to be reminded upon Kevin Owens' return, immediately upon Kevin Owens' return, that he's not to be messed with, that he is a serious competitor. We need to see why he's called Mr. Wrestling and why he made a name for himself as Mr. Wrestling and watch him do moves that you would never think that a guy in that frame can do. We need to see a little bit more Kevin Steen in Kevin Owens when he returns, and he's got to be a good guy. You know, that doesn't mean smiling, hugging kids, and giving them, you know, shooting T-shirts out of a T-shirt gun. I don't know what else you would shoot out of a T-shirt gun, but that's certainly not what it means. But what it does mean is embracing the fact that the fans are cheering for him and leaning into it. We know that that's going to happen. When he comes back 
it should be bad guy Bobby Lashley versus good guy Kevin Owens. That's what I think because the fans are going to cheer him. The fans are going to be so happy for him anyway. There's really no other option. There's not much else that you should do. Um, Moving on to story number two is SmackDown 1000 and more specifically the Evolution segment. I don't think that I ever appreciated Evolution as much as I did this week on SmackDown. I thought SmackDown 1000 was a great show. I think the only criticism I would have with SmackDown 1000 is they spent a week advertising the return of Rey Mysterio and the fact that he's going to be facing Nakamura. Rey Mysterio's return was not made out to be that big of a deal in the sense that we saw him walking around. You know, it, it, it wasn't. It sh- Rey Mysterio's return could have been made into a much bigger deal, especially since he's returning full-time. And if you're going to advertise this fantasy match, which I was super excited about between Rey Mysterio and Nakamura, you got to do more than four minutes. You know, that's easy. Put 20 minutes into that, or maybe don't start with that one, whatever. But other than that, I thought it was a phenomenal show. I think, you know, Truth TV is great. Carmella and R-Truth together are awesome. Having all the McMahons out there was perfect. Who doesn't want to see Vince, Shane, and Stephanie on a show like that. I mean, but perfect. I loved it. Um, I, 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 they just did such a good job of mixing old talent and new talent, mixing the history of the brand with what the brand means today. Such a good job. And uh, I, I thought that, that the legends that were there were actually highlighting the current roster guys. You know, I, I thought that... Uh, I loved that they did the Usos versus AJ and Daniel Bryan. I thought that match was phenomenal. And again, one of those matches that you're like, oh my God, you're putting these four guys together? These are four of the best guys in the company right now, in wrestling right now. I can't wait for this, and it didn't disappoint. Um, You know, I thought that I loved, loved the Edge segment with Becky Lynch. And the reason why I loved that so much is because... It wasn't Adam Copeland. You know, it wasn't Edge kind of goofing around. It wasn't Edge from the Edge and Christian show. The guy that we saw on SmackDown this week, the guy that we saw at SmackDown 1000, that was the ultimate opportunist. That was Edge. That was Sex Party with Lita Edge. That was I Have No Friends Because I'm Really That Bad of a Guy Edge. That was I'm Pulling My Hair in a Corner. My Eyes Are Going Crazy and I'm About to Spear Someone Edge. And the story that he told about being alone because he was the ultimate opportunist, because he did put work before all of his relationships, and then he woke up and he had nothing but his championships. I just love. We had not had a bow on that story. That one segment. Because you go, a lot of times you worry that you bring back a guy like Edge or you bring back whoever, and it's just kind of icing. And it doesn't really do anything for anybody, and it doesn't do anything. It, It cheapens the character a little bit. But this segment did not. It put a bow on the Edge story in the sense that after he left that company, that character was alone because he had sacrificed everything for the business and he regretted it. I thought it was great. And then Becky telling him, you know, watch out. Why don't you leave the ring and watch out that you don't hurt your neck again on the way out? Oh, oh, what an awful person. I I thought it was wonderful. But... My favorite segment of the night was the Evolution segment, and it really was because as I was watching it, I was getting the feels. I got goosebumps as I was watching 
because I didn't realize how much I appreciate evolution now. I don't think that they made my top 10 factions list a couple weeks ago, but I mean, the way they've aged, when you look at those four guys together, you go, oh my God, I can't believe that these four coexisted at the same time. Like, this is it. You go down the line and you can go to Randy Orton, who, by the way, did the genius thing of getting his hair cut the way he used to cut his hair when he was younger. So he looked like young Randy Orton again. I think he did it on purpose. I think he got his hair cut like he did when he was young because he didn't want to look older. And he didn't look older. He looked like a million bucks. He looked like, I mean, he's an active competitor. He always looks good. But I'm saying he didn't look like he had aged at all. Randy Orton is so good. You know, Randy Orton is just, I don't know... When you watch Randy Orton, I don't get the feeling that there are many guys as naturally gifted as Randy Orton. He might be the most naturally gifted competitor of all time, meaning that it just everything comes like, I don't want to say naturally again, but everything is second nature to him. You know, everything. He goes in there and he just gets it and everything he does just looks the way it's supposed to look. He's just so smooth. Love Randy Orton. Ric Flair, what can you say about Ric Flair? He's going to go down on everybody's top five of all time, many people's top one of all time. He's the nature boy. He's, he's still the nature boy after everything he's been through. Awesome. Batista, you, you, I, I even underestimated the amount of goodwill in my heart that he's built since his last return. Look, I wasn't thrilled when Batista came back four years ago, five years ago almost at this point, when Batista came back in the lead-up to WrestleMania 30. I didn't think he was needed then. I wasn't excited for it. I wasn't excited for a Batista-Randy Orton match. The whole thing got really messed up, and it's because at that moment, the WWE had misread their audience. They bet on something that their audience wasn't feeling, and they corrected course, but it was damaging to Batista. But I think the way Batista left... And the fact that he's addressed it since then. And he agrees with that. He agrees that it, it didn't turn out the way it should have turned out. And it wasn't that good. And, you know, I, I just being a stand-up guy in general, the way he stood up for James Gunn, uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy director, just I don't know what it is. But in this moment, I have an appreciation and a gratitude towards Batista and an appreciation for his work like I haven't had Probably ever. I love Batista in this moment. And then you look at Triple H, who is just a genius, a wrestling genius. I hope Triple H wrestles forever. I mean, he, he everything Batista said about Triple H is 100% true. I love anything that Triple H gets his hands on. And I mean, maybe you think I'm brown-nosing, but I don't know if even you guys realize how hands-on Triple H is and how much of an impact he has made towards the business of wrestling. And he looks at the wrestling industry as the whole industry. He doesn't just look inside the WWE bubble. He's the one that was able to step outside the bubble and start pulling things in. He's created a bridge from the bubble to the outside world of wrestling that has never been done before. 
Plus, he's just amazing in the ring still. So watching those four together, I was I was losing my mind for it. I loved it. And then the fact that they were all having a good time, Triple H, tell, I mean, uh, Batista telling Ric Flair to keep that thing in his pants. Everybody's having a good time. And all of a sudden, Batista says, but you've never beat me to Triple H. And it gets serious. And they stare down each other. And they're locking eyes. And it's real. And you feel it. You know, there are guys on the active roster that I don't feel that much emotion for. But I instantly felt it. If you told me on paper, it's going to be Triple H versus Batista at WrestleMania, I'd go, oh, really? Okay, I guess that's cool. When I saw that segment, I was like, I need to see Triple H versus Batista at WrestleMania, if not before. I'm ready. Bring back Batista right now. I am so on the Batista bandwagon. And so on the bandwagon of wanting to see a Triple H Batista match. It just, it blew me away. The whole segment blew me away. I thought it was wonderful. Uh, I think Batista's wonderful. Love Triple H, Randy Orton, Ric Flair. But yeah, I mean, I, I and now, you know, they're, they announced, Batista was supposed to do the London Comic Con, I think next weekend. And they pulled him. He's not on the London Comic Con anymore. He said they said due to unforeseen scheduling problems, Batista won't be at the convention. So that's led a lot of people to believe, are we gonna get something here? Do we have something going with Batista? Dude, I hope he comes back this week. I hope he's back on SmackDown next week. I am so ready for a Batista comeback, I can't tell you. More than I've ever been ready for a Batista comeback. So ready for it. All right. Let's get into story number one. This was requested by a lot of you guys. WWE put out a list of the top five betrayals in WWE history. Now, that's very important. WWE history. That's, it doesn't say top five betrayals in history, in wrestling history. WWE history. Hulk Hogan's betrayal of WCW is in the top five if it's not number one of wrestling. But this isn't wrestling. This is only WWE. So you remember we dissected the top five greatest factions of all time or the top 10 greatest factions of all time? Let's dissect this list. A lot of you guys asked for it. This is the WWE's list. Number five, the Bella Twins ambush Ronda Rousey. Number four, Kevin Owens ruins Chris Jericho's Festival of Friendship. Number three, Shawn Michaels throws Marty Jannetty through a barbershop window. Wrestling Challenge, January 12th, 1992. Number two, the aforementioned Evolution dumps Randy Orton. And number one, Seth Rollins betrays the Shield. Um, I'll tell you what I think. The Bella Twins ambush Ronda Rousey clearly has no place on this list. Uh, it feels almost like the WWE was trolling us when they put that out there. No place on that list whatsoever. It is not even close. It's not in the top 20 betrayals in WWE history. Um, I'm okay with the other four being on the list. You could argue with me that the other four should be on the list in some way, shape, or form. But I decided to make my list. Here is... The last professional broadcaster, Sam Roberts, list of the top five betrayals in WWE history. Now, part of this is not just, it, it's, it comes in a few parts, three parts, I would say. Number one 
is how important the initial grouping was, meaning how big of a betrayal is this? I thought these guys would never break up. The new somebody somebody in the New Day betraying if Biggie betrayed the New Day, that would be a big deal because the New Day is such a cohesive group. So that's step one. Step two is the moment itself. What kind of an impact did that moment have? Did it have that punch? You know, the their number one is Seth Rollins betrays the shield. That moment we all remember when Seth Rollins has the chair knocks out Dean Ambrose and Roman Reigns. We didn't see it coming. The moment, right? And step three is what is the aftermath of this betrayal? What did the betrayal lead to? How impactful was the betrayal in general? So that's my three criteria that I'm looking at as I make my list of top five WWE betrayals. And if you've got suggestions or whatever, hit me up on Twitter, email me, whatever you want to do. Okay, number five on my list of betrayals is the WWE's number one. Seth Rollins betrays the Shield. Now, I will say, not on this list. There's a couple of them. Um, I think Paul Bearer betraying The Undertaker should be somewhere, you know, in the discussion just because Paul Bearer and The Undertaker as a group were, you know, it's just synonymous with, with each other. That was a huge deal in 96. Um, you know, I don't know if Tatanka betraying Lex Luger was... As much a betrayal, but you could make the argument. Um, but there are a few. There are a few. And 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 I'll say the the other than the Bellas versus Rhonda, the betrayals on the WWE's list that are not on my list definitely deserve honorable mention. The shield is number five because as I said, the moment was huge. Uh we didn't none of us were ready for the shield to break up, and it led to only in my opinion, good things for everybody. You could argue that it wasn't the best for Dean Ambrose, but at the end of the day, all three of those guys held the WWE Championship off of that. Seth Rollins became the biggest heel in the company and established himself as a main event star. Dean Ambrose held the title and got a WrestleMania match with Brock Lesnar. And Roman Reigns put himself in a position to be considered the man in the company. Now they're back together and they did so well after the betrayal that the Shield as a group right now is as big a faction as maybe you could possibly have in the WWE. So that is my number five. My number four is from 1993. Well, it started in 1993 and dipped into 1994. It's something that started at Survivor Series 93 but wasn't complete until the Royal Rumble 94. My number four betrayal is Owen Hart betrays Bret Hart. When you're a kid, if you grew up in the 90s like me, there aren't many betrayals that are a bigger deal than that one. Owen betrays Bret. Started at Survivor Series 93. Owen is the only member of the Hart family to get eliminated. He blames his brothers for not helping him, specifically Bret. We think that they've made up they go to the Royal Rumble to challenge the Quebecers for the Tag Team Championship. That's when Owen snaps on Brett and completely betrays him, goes full heel. And that leads us to the entire year of 1994 for the most part. It leads us into a singles match at WrestleMania where Owen Hart beat Bret Hart on the night that Bret Hart would eventually become WWE Champion. 
It leads us to a steel cage match at SummerSlam 94, which is on the list of best steel cage matches to ever take place inside those solid blue bars. And I don't mean that metaphorically. I mean literally, like if there's a list of all the steel cage matches that happened in the blue cage, that would be one of the best ones. It goes into Survivor Series 94 a year later where it's Bret Hart versus Bob Backlund, but Owen's on the outside throwing in the towel. Owen wins the King of the Ring. He becomes the King of Hearts, but he's chasing Bret the whole time. You know, I that shaped 1994 and really brought Owen Hart into the conversation. Before that, Owen Hart was high energy. He was wearing the baggy pants with Coco Beware. He was, he was cool, but he wasn't doing anything. Owen getting to be a bad guy, getting some mic time, getting to establish himself as a personality, going from uh, uh, the Rocket to the King of Hearts to the Slammy Award-winning Owen Hart to the two-time Slammy Award-winning Owen Hart. None of that stuff would have happened if he hadn't turned on Brett. And I think that it was very, very important. So my number four is Owen turns on Brett Hart. Number three is a really interesting one because number three depending on which side you're on. I can't exactly tell you who betrayed who, but there was a betrayal. Was the betrayal one jealous member of a team trying to get the spotlight away from another one? Or was it that one member of a team noticed that the other looked at his wife and he had lust in his eyes? Yeah. Hulk Hogan... Macho Man Randy Savage. The mega powers explode. My betrayal number three. And I think that we'll follow the narrative of Hulk Hogan is the good guy. He didn't mean to have any lust in his eyes. And Macho Man uh, was overcome with jealousy. Macho Man certainly turned heel. And I believe the person who turns heel is the one that betrayed the other person. So for the sake of this argument, Macho Man betrays Hulk Hogan. The mega powers explode. We saw... uh, the Mega Powers come together, WrestleMania 4, Macho Man is crowned the WWE champion, Hulk Hogan raises his arm in victory. There's some weirdness that happens uh, that year, coming off of WrestleMania 4. Um, we go into uh, SummerSlam, the very first SummerSlam event, and the Mega Powers come together. Macho Man is still the WWE champion, Hulk Hogan as his partner, as they take on Zeus and Ted DiBiase. We go into the Royal Rumble, and that's when things start to get a little odd, a little fishy between Hulk Hogan and the Macho Man. Flash forward to Saturday night's main event. Enough is enough. Macho Man knows that there's something up, and we get to WrestleMania Five, a year-long build, and the mega powers explode. Macho Man versus Hulk Hogan. One of the greatest storylines in the history of WWE, and the only reason that the Festival of Friendship is not on this list. I feel like there was a lot in the Kevin Owens Jericho story that borrowed from the Macho Man Hulk Hogan story in the best possible way. I thought it was executed perfectly, but I decided to give the spot to the original Mega Powers Explode and to give the honorable mention to the Festival of Friendship. Number two, and number two would be number one, but I'll explain to you why it's not. Number two is Vince McMahon betrays Brett the Hitman Hart. November 1997, 
Montreal, Canada, Survivor Series. A lot of this stuff happening around Survivor Series. Bret Hart, who, 93, 94, 95, 96, 97, four years earlier, Owen Hart started the path down to the betrayal of Bret. We move four years into the future. I can't believe that's only four years. Seems like a, like a different era. We, we go four years into the future, and the real-life Vince McMahon, real-life betrays the real-life Bret Hart. The Montreal Screwjob is number two on my list of the all-time WWE betrayals. Now, I mean, I don't even think I need to justify that. It created the Mr. McMahon character. It kick-started the Attitude Era. The Attitude Era had already kind of begun. A lot of the characters had already been established, but that really pushed it forward. It really, it was a shoot-shoot, not a worked shoot. You know, it brought people in to wrestling the way they never had been brought in before. You know, it brought an audience in to the real-life workings of pro wrestling the way that had never happened before. It was responsible for Hitman Hart, the best wrestling documentary of all time, Wrestling with Shadows. Um, and the betrayal was so bad that Bret Hart never really recovered from it. In fact, we didn't get the blow-off until, what, I mean... Almost 20 years later, when Bret Hart could finally get his hands on Vince McMahon again, 15 years later. So that is my number two. And the only reason it's not number one is because number one on my list was placed at an insulting number three on WWE's list. Number one on my list is a betrayal that is so iconic that the imagery that surrounds it have become synonymous with not only all wrestling betrayals, but all betrayals in general, okay? How many of us out there have not been kicked through a barbershop window by a girlfriend? And I say kicked through a barbershop window knowing that Sean actually threw Marty through the window, but colloquially we say he kicked him through the window. It's just a funner thing to say. But how many of us have not been thrown through a barbershop window by a girlfriend? by a buddy. Number one on the list is Shawn Michaels turns on Marty Jannetty. The barbershop window defines betrayals in wrestling and outside of wrestling. The split of the Rockers defines every tag team split in wrestling. Who's Shawn and who's Marty? In friendships, outside of wrestling. There's always one Sean, and there's always one Marty. And we always want to believe we're Sean, but more often than not, we're actually Marty. It has, the, that one incident has reached out so far that I refuse to believe that it is anything except number one. The number one betrayal of all time in WWE is without a doubt, beyond the shadow of a doubt, Shawn Michaels throwing Marty Jannetty through a barber shop window. It started the Shawn Michaels character that is going on still to this day. Come on. And it's January of 92? That's how strong that was. That's how impactful that was. That's why that is number one on the list of all-time betrayals. Make sure that you're subscribed to, uh, Sam, uh, to Not Sam Wrestling. Whoops. As I said, branding, not always my strong suit. Also, I don't sleep enough these days. 
Not Sam Wrestling. Make sure you're a Not Sam Show. You want to support the podcast? You want to get the bonus episodes? You want to watch the bonus videos? Not you, gotta, you want to get the exclusive merchandise? Not Sam Wrestling is the place to go on Patreon to be a Not Sam Show. Patreon.com slash Not Sam Wrestling. We will start the shout-outs next week, by the way, to everybody who has signed up to those tiers on Patreon. Thank you for being a part of this week's Not Sam Wrestling. We will see you again next week. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Follow at Not Sam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Still there, huh? I thought you might be. Listen, you know it's time to bring the men of this country back to greatness, and it's easier than ever. With Ageless Male Max, their patent-pending formula helps boost your total testosterone, promoting greater increases in muscle size and twice the reduction in body fat percentage than exercise alone. Try your first 30-day bottle for free. Just pay shipping and handling when you text the word PRIME to 797979 for your free bottle. Text PRIME, P-R-I-M-E, to 797979. Message and data rates may apply.